we thank you this morning for how incredible you are. Lord, we come together as your, as your people, and Lord, we get to sing about your greatness. And Lord, I, I, I pray that today we would leave with a sense of your greatness that transcends anything that's going on in our personal life, in our professional life, in our, our nation. Lord, I pray that we, we leave of it a real sense that you're here, that you're with us, that you are powerful, that you are good, that you are gracious, that you are merciful. And so, Lord, this morning, I want to pray specifically for the person that walked in feeling unworthy, the person who walked in feeling like, I gotta make up for some things that I've been doing. I've gotta make up for some things that I haven't been doing that I know that I should have. Lord, I just pray that they'd sense your grace, your mercy, your love for them, your forgiveness, your kindness through the cross. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen, you can be seated. So uh, in, uh, over Thanksgiving, we did an event called THX. If you are aware of it, that's great. If not, uh, we do THX every single year. And uh, this year uh, was no different. Uh, it went awesome. We served about 325 or 330 families, somewhere in there. Uh, raised $50,000. Um, that was amazing as well. And we have a, uh, a quick video here that I'd love to show you. And uh, so let's, uh, let's check that out here. Pretty sweet, huh? Dude, killer video. I, that was the first time I saw it as well, so that could have been really terrible. But we have a great staff and we have great people uh, that do an awesome job. I don't even have to look at it anymore, and so that's, that's fantastic. Not that I did before. I've always had great staff. I love them. Um, so, um, yeah, foot in mouth. All right. Uh, yeah, so uh, that, that was THX. We just raised a ton of money, and so now I'm going to talk to you about money. Uh, for just <laughs> just a second, as we go into the new year, here's what I'd love for you to be thinking about: is uh, if you haven't ever given before, that you would we would ask that you would start. Our church is growing, so we regularly have uh, I, I think it's about 500 people that are that are attending between Salem and uh, Silverton, somewhere along those lines. We'll we'll hit that number here and there: 480, 430. 500, something like that. And as our church grows, uh, necessity for resources increases. And our ability to be able to serve the church, uh, to be able to give uh, free counseling uh, to people that are in need, to be able to, to serve people in the community, to be able to have staff that are going to be able to um, serve you and serve, and serve our community as well is contingent on people saying, I wanna buy in, I'm, I'm in, I'm here, I wanna get behind this. And we would love it if that's where you uh, would get to if you haven't started giving. And you can go to outwardchurch.com forward slash give and you can start giving there and that would be awesome. Uh, secondly, if you have been giving for some time and it's just been on like autopilot, you give the same amount, maybe what you could consider is this, is that you would start uh, giving uh, as, as you've gotten pay increases, maybe you haven't increased your tithe. And so that's a way that we can give back to God and say, thank you, God, for how you've served me. 
um, and, how, and here's how I can, here's one of the ways, one of the biggest ways that I can serve you back. And so the, those are two things that I would encourage you to do. And then the third thing I'd say is this, is that like if, if you have a hard time giving, but that you would look into the scriptures and that you would see that God loves a cheerful giver. That God loves it when people, uh, his people, are so committed to him that they say, I want to give you the first fruits of everything that you've given to me. It's living in gratitude for that. And so one of the, one of the biggest things that we want to do here as a, ch- as a church is that we want to get to a place of uh, greater stability. And so we want to raise uh, about $180,000 uh, to have in the bank account so that if by chance something crazy happens, like, I don't know, like a worldwide pandemic, or I don't know, that would never happen, but if something like that were to take place um, and that giving was, uh, was messed up for a little bit, that we would be in a little bit of a better spot. It also gives us the opportunity to, to uh, take hold of opportunities that come to us, whether it's a, uh, a new meeting location, another church that we, uh, that we might plant, um, a staff member that we need, um, those kinds of things. But let me just tell you this, that over the last, uh, uh, I guess it's been like, has it been nine months or so? It's probably been, it's been less than nine months, but we, we planted uh, Silverton uh, June 6th, and so about six months ago, we planted that church. Uh, we've spent about $25,000 um, we've just hired two part-time staff for that church. And so I just got to tell you this, like your giving matters. And there are, I, I heard this so many times after we planted that church. I've been looking for a church. I've been coming to Salem. I wanted to go to church in my community. I couldn't find a church. I talked to people who were like, man, I've never seen a church like this before. I've never been a part of something like that. I've, I've, I've never walked with Jesus before, and now I'm walking with Jesus. And listen, like your giving has done that. God has done that through you. And so it's an awesome opportunity to be able to see like, okay, God, where are you sending us next? What's the next thing? Now, we gotta totally get that church planted, get it on its feet and stuff like that. But we are actively engaged in the idea of planting more churches all throughout the area uh, to see churches that are reaching the lost uh, for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so here's, here's my request. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel shame. Don't, don't, that, that, that's not what this is about. This is an invitation to be a part of what God is already doing here. So as we go into the new year, uh, that would be super helpful. If you haven't started giving, start. If you have been giving for a while but haven't increased in a while, would you increase that? And, and one other thing, if, you, if you're like, man, I got all this extra cash. I don't know what to do with it. Uh, something like that. I know that most of us don't have that problem, but... Uh, we'd love uh, to be considered for your uh, giving options. So, all right. Hey, we're in the, the book of Luke here. And uh, as we're, we're going through the book of Luke, we've been talking about, like, the real Jesus. What does it look like to see the real Jesus? Most of us, many of us, most of America at least, maybe most of the world, uh, has an incorrect view of who Jesus is. Don't understand what he's like. Don't understand uh, really who he is. And so as a result, what we need to see is we need to see the real Jesus. We need to see what is he actually like. Jesus wants you to see him. Not what you've always been programmed to believe, like if you grew up in the church, and not like what you've been programmed to believe as as an American, but as somebody who is a seeker of Jesus, like what, what could we see about him that might be new? What could we see here in this passage, and I think it has something to say about that. Recently, I think what we've been experiencing in America is, I mean, I think there's some talk and articles I've read and, and stuff like that about the decline of the evangelical church. People are leaving in droves, or they haven't come back after COVID, or, uh, you know, they just, they just realize, all of a sudden they woke up one day and said, I don't have to go to a building on Sunday morning to you know, be a relatively moral person and, and have a good family and stuff. I just don't need to do that. I don't need to be a part of it. So they, they've just kind of stopped. But I think what we're experiencing here today is that we are being disabused of the facade of cultural religion. We, we, we are, our idea of 
uh, religion, our idea of Christianity is being called to account. It's being burnt up. It's being leveled in a way that I don't know that we've ever seen before. And what's happening today is I think people are really asking the question, is this true? Is this real? Is this, is this what I should be a part of? And Jesus wants you to understand who he really is so that you can really believe. And get away from this idea of cultural Christianity, of cultural religion that is pervasive in the USA. That is, it, it is in everything. And little by little, it's being stripped of that. We're seeing that. We're seeing uh, the U.S. being completely stripped of, of, of religion and trying to get away from that. We've been sold this bill of goods that says that life will be so much better. We'll build this utopia through this next candidate. We'll build this utopia through these new policies. We'll build this utopia by you feeling good about yourself. And it's all coming crashing down. And I think Jesus has something to say to us here. But first, let's get into the passage. It says this, but he said to them, and this is Jesus. He's talking to uh, the, these, these people in the temple. He's speaking to them. He has just answered this question, this ridiculous question that we talked about last week that the Sadducees asked Jesus about, about marriage and the resurrection and so forth. Kind of a complicated argument. But Jesus ends that and, and answers them so aptly that it says this in verse 39, then some of the scribes answered, teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. So he's answered well, and now all these people are kind of shut up that have been against Jesus for a long time. And Jesus is in the temple, and the book of Mark says that right after he answers this question, there was a throng there. A throng is a large group of people. There's a large group of people that are sitting around, they're listening to him, and they say, and, and the, the great throng heard him gladly. They hear him and they go, this is, this is good news. And so what you're about to experience, what you're about to see was something that was like, oh, that's kinda, that's kinda good, that's kinda nice, but it's hard to understand. And the reason is this, is that God created this people group. He calls Abraham, he creates the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel sins greatly. They walk away from God. They serve other gods. They, they do all of these terrible things like child sacrifice and, and worshiping pagan gods and, and things like that. And so God punishes them by sending them into exile. But he also gives them a promise. And the promise is essentially this. I'm going to send to you someone who is going to be a great hero. That great hero is called the Messiah. He's a, he is a Messiah. And so the scriptures begin to talk about this and talk about this and talk about this. And they're, they're basically prophesying about this hero that's going to show up someday and is going to save them from their oppressors. He's going to save them from all of their oppressors. He's going to free them. Um, and he's going to bring about prosperity in their country. Now, the Jews saw this as a nationalistic, humanistic Thing. They saw this as, as, as something that was a lot like America today. The Jews saw it as though like God's going to bless our nation and there's going to be this great political uh, and military leader and he's going to come and he's going to free us. That's how they looked at it. So Jesus has just answered these guys in, in such a great way and they were like, oh, that kind of makes sense. And then he says this, but he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? It seems like a, a weird question to ask, but he goes on and he quotes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 110 to be exact. He says, for David, who's David? David is King David. King David is the great figure from the Old Testament. He's the greatest king that Israel had ever had up until this point. 
And so here's David, and he's this great king, and he is writing the book of Psalms. And he's writing in the spirit, other uh, gospels tell us. He's writing in the spirit, meaning that what he's writing is true. And he, what he writes is this, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Sounds cryptic. Stay with me for just a second. Then verse 44 says, David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? So Jesus points out this Old Testament passage that's pointing to this hero that's going to save Israel from all of their oppressors. Jesus points to that and he says, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you this question. How is David's descendant greater than David? And Jesus points out one thing. The Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, it, Jesus is pointing out like, hey, how can David be lesser than his uh, descendants? So the whole problem here is that in Jewish thought, was this, that your ancestors are always greater than you. Jesus points out something to these people that would have known this passage so well. He points out to them that David himself says that this Messiah was going to be greater than he was. That's what David points out. Now, this is a, an immense conundrum for these people. It's an immense conundrum because they're sitting there going, you know what? I've never actually thought of that. I've never actually thought of that idea that like the Messiah is spoken of as greater than David. That's, that's, that's kind of interesting. So they're kind of perplexed. What is Jesus doing here? Sometimes God wakes us up with a question that we cannot answer. Sometimes God wakes us up with an event. Sometimes God wakes us up with something that says, that says all of a sudden, you have been thoughtlessly believing something that you didn't actually really even believe. It was actually, for them, just like this cultural religion that they had, and they had never fully thought it through. They had never really fully thought it through. Now in America here, our lives are really good. You could make the case that our lives, the way that we live them, our economy, the way our, 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 our economy works, um, I mean, just uh, our, our, our nation, our, our military, all of that, I mean, we're a superpower. Like there's, there's all kinds of things here that give us peace, security, safety, all of that stuff. And here we are, and life is good. Really, pain does not come into the picture that often for most of us. In fact, what we've, what we've seen in the last couple of decades, maybe longer, is that we have a nation that is full of people that are addicted to happiness. They're addicted to dopamine. They're addicted to a dopamine hit. Mark Sayers talks about this in his latest podcast. He says it so well. You should go back and listen to it. It's called Rebuilders. I love that podcast. He's fantastic. One of the things that he talks about is this. As he says, we are a people group that are so addicted to these dopamine hits a dopamine hit comes from, you know, uh, big things like uh, I bought a new house, I got a new car. Uh, it comes from I'm in I'm in a relationship. It comes from, you know, uh, um, life going well for you. It comes from when you make a post on social media and somebody likes it. Well said. That's right. You look so cute. Oh my goodness. Love him. Yeah, whatever it is that you wear, all the, uh, never mind. All right, uh, uh, all of the, uh, all the likes. It comes from churches, even. 
that really never tell you the truth. And the goal of the church service is to give you a dopamine hit that says, you're awesome. You're fantastic. Look at you. You're amazing. It comes from a church that doesn't really tell the truth and is constantly participating with the world and with this cultural religion that is building this life that is really just a facade because it's not the real Jesus. And sometimes God asks us a question that we cannot answer. And we go, huh, I wonder what's going on here. See, we've experienced pain individually. Here and there, somebody dies, a relationship ends, you lose a job, you know, financial status is compromised, lose respect, whatever it is. Pain comes into our lives. But there has never been a time in my lifetime where every living person on earth has been so confronted with the reality of their own inability, powerlessness, and hopelessness to change anything about our current situation. There's never been a time where everyone immediately went from getting constant dopamine hits. You're amazing. I love what you're wearing. You, you look awesome. Your family looks awesome. Uh, here's a new house. Here's a new life. Here's a new you. Here's this. Here's that. And then all of a sudden, it's all stopped. It's all stopped. And I wonder if what God isn't doing is he's asking us a question that we don't know the answer to because he's questioning us on what God do you serve? What God do you actually serve? There's this great story from the Old Testament, from 1 Kings 18. There's this prophet named Elijah. He really believed that he was the only prophet left in Israel, even though he wasn't. But that's how he felt. He felt like he was the last one left in Israel. This is during Israel's great sin. And here's Elijah, and he wants to confront all the prophets of Baal in Israel. And so he says, round them all up. Bring them all here. Bring them all, bring them all to me. And so they, they come up. They come to him. And he says, here's what we're going to do. Here, here's what's going to happen. In fact, it says, we're going to see if the Lord is God, and you should follow him, or if Baal is God, and then follow him. And so he says, you take a calf and you put it on an altar and you try, to, you try to bring down fire from heaven and then I'll do the same and we'll see whose God comes in. And so here come these 450 prophets of Baal and they put this sacrifice on the altar and they dance around and they're running around and they're, they're, they're going crazy just trying to make it. Uh, make fire come down from heaven. They're trying to do this and, and, and just running around and, and life is crazy and everything's happening here. And they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. And then it says in verse 27 of 1 Kings 18, and at noon Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself. I think your God's going to the bathroom. I think that's what he's doing. I love this passage so much. <laughs> These are the, this is the kind of stuff that I read to my kids. And it's like, can you believe it says that? That and the story about uh, Ehud, the left-handed judge, who stabs a really heavy-set guy, and he puts the sword in his stomach, and the, his stomach closes in around the sword. My kids love that story, too. Some of you are, are in disbelief that I would do that, but dude, it, it's amazing. Okay, so Elijah mocked these prophets. He says may, maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he went on vacation. He's on a journey. 
Or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Elijah mocks their God, and they, they cry aloud, and then they start cutting themselves. I've just got to, we've got to sacrifice ourselves almost. Like, let's just like make this happen. Let's just make this happen. We've got to do it. We're going to make our God work. And in the end, nothing happens. And then Elijah comes, and he puts his, he builds an altar, puts his calf on there, and he builds a trench around it, and he says, pour water on it. Pour water on again. Pour water on again. He fills up this moat around there, if I'm remembering it correctly. And he says, God, I want you to show these people that you are God and that their God is not. And God says, okay. And God rains down fire. And he burns it up. And everybody goes, whoa. And then he turns around and he slaughters all the prophets of Baal. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Another great part for the kids. I wonder if God didn't allow us to build an altar to our gods. And to put it on there, to dance around and say, our God's effective. He's amazing, but the truth is that it's like we were trying to worship the true and living God, but it, it was just like a tick off. It was just a little bit off, and it went from true gospel-centered Christianity to false Christianity, to cultural Christianity, to a cultural religion, and God said, Throw it all on there. Throw, throw it all on there. Let's, let's just see if your God actually can do what you want him to do. Let's see if he really is God. And that's, what I, that's the situation I believe that we're in. And Jesus answers a question here. He actually doesn't answer it. He just leaves him with a question, I should say. He leaves them with a question, which is, do you really know me? Do you really know the Savior of the world? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's like? Because what's happening today is that our view of God, our view of Jesus is being challenged greatly. It's being greatly, greatly challenged. And so while we obviously do not have a problem with seeing people come back to church, because our seats are full here this morning. If you're watching on live stream, you should be here, by the way. You got another seat for you. There's a lot of people that have just checked out. And this isn't just about like church attendance or something like that. That's absurd. But what it is about is this is that it reveals a heart. It reveals a heart that has not really seen who Jesus is. So these guys' problem is that they could not accept the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. It says way back in chapter 9, verse 51 of Luke, that Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. He's going to the cross. And on his way there, on Palm Sunday... He's walking towards Jerusalem, and something happens where they start quoting Psalm 118, saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a, another messianic, hero-ish uh, passage that's talking about the Messiah. And the Pharisees say, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. And he says, if they don't cry out, the rocks are going to cry out. These people have seen Jesus. They've been around him. They've heard people exclaim him as the Messiah. And here he's trying to say something to them. He's saying, not only am I the Messiah, but I'm greater than you think I am. I'm more powerful than you think I am. And Jesus is confronting all of their views of Christianity. He confronts a man-made religion where they had put faith in themselves. This man-made religion was essentially this. If I can be good enough, 
if I can keep my life together, if I can make myself look good, if I can be somebody who has got it all together, then God will accept me. That's what, that's what was going on with these guys. It was this man-made religion. And they had put faith in themselves. They had put faith in religion and doing all the right functions, going to the right places, being at the right things. They had put faith in their own understandings of God. Big, big problem today. Occasionally I'll hear someone say, my God would never judge someone. He wouldn't? That's weird. Because don't you want God to judge people? Because a little bit later in the passage, it talks about these scribes. It talks about these people that are supposed to be church leaders, but they're actually taking advantage of widows. They're basically TV preachers that are trying to take money from some little old lady that has nothing left in her retirement account. Don't you want God to, to judge religious people like that? Wouldn't, wouldn't he be a false God? Wouldn't that be terrible if God didn't judge that? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust, trust in him with everything that you are and don't go to your own understandings of who God is, your own understandings of what God should be like, your own understandings of what your life should be like, what the U.S. should be like, what politics should be like. They were dependent on their own understandings of who God was. And Jesus wakes them up with a question and says, you don't really know me. He's been confronting this over and over again as he kicked everyone out of the temple with all of their merchandise, all of their animals, the money changers. He confronts them little by little. He's confronting every aspect. And Jesus has something to confront in you and me. He's confronting in us this cultural Christianity that I can just lollygag along in this church culture and act like I'm a Christian when in reality, there's no real presence of God in my life. When in reality, I'm not really connected with the, the people of God. When in reality, I'm not experiencing the power of God. See, our, when we lean on our own understanding of who Jesus is, what happens is this, is that we put faith in other things. So to be sure, the Jews believed that the Messiah was going to be a person who was in the lineage of David. And he wasn't going to be greater than David, but he was at least equal to him. He's this great human leader. And you and I make the same mistake. And so I wonder what what you're being confronted with. As I said, there's never been a time in our nation, in our country, where we've been so confronted with the reality of this is all a facade. This idea of utopia is really just a facade. And your faith in God may not really be real. It may be in Life going well for you. Instead of it being in God, instead of it being in Jesus, as him being the true Messiah, the true hero, the true one that is going to save us from all things, our faith has, has been deeply embedded in our way of life. It's been deeply embedded in uh, the principles of America, the Constitution, whatever it is. It's been deeply embedded 
and I should get a dopamine hit every day. Everything that you say and that you are and that, and that, and that you communicate to me should be something that makes me happy and not sad. And if, and if I experience pain, then that's, that's the worst thing ever. But that's putting faith in this world. That's putting faith in something else, in another God. And Jesus wants to ask you a question this morning. Is your faith in the real Messiah? Or is it in a Messiah that you have created? Like these guys in the temple. Is your faith truly in the Messiah, in this God, or has it been in the idea of, if I come to church, my marriage will get better? That's another God, that's another Messiah. If I come to church, then I'll feel better about myself. That's another God, that's another Messiah. If I, if I'm, if, if I get a little bit of religion, then everything's gonna be fine. I give a little bit back, and the pastor's talking about giving, and if I give a little bit, he gives a little bit. That's, me. that's another God. That's, that's, that's a different God. That's the way our world works. That's a humanistic approach. That is a different God. And Jesus says, why do you think that passage says that the Messiah is greater than David? And the answer is, because the Messiah is truly greater than David. The Messiah is greater than than America, America, whichever you like. The Messiah is truly greater than your personal success. The Messiah is truly greater than anything that you could experience. The Messiah is truly greater than the dopamine hit that you get from whatever it is social media, new job, new life, new relationship, the Messiah, and Jesus is that Messiah. And so you can begin to ask yourself, okay, so then what should my life look like then? And Jesus in the same breath says this, and in the hearing of all the people he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. You wonder if Jesus didn't preface this with, hey, don't take this the wrong way. But you know, like when somebody says, don't take this the wrong way, like you know like the next statement is, is something that you could clearly take the wrong way. Like, you smell bad and I hate you. You know, like, <laughs> you know, something. I mean, that's, that's kind of how this went. I think that would have been really funny if he had said that. Like, I, I hate your guts or, or something like that. And I don't think that's what Jesus is actually saying, but it, it would have been funny. Uh, the guys are sitting right there. The church leaders are sitting right there. The guys who are, who are like, they're the teachers. They know their Bibles. They know the Pentateuch. They know the Old Testament scriptures. And Jesus says, he's standing in the temple. There's a great throng of people around him. There's Pharisees and scribes and, and Sadducees that are, that are sitting around here. These are all these religious people. And I don't know if he pointed at one of the scribes, but he said, I want you to watch out for that guy. Because that is not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for somebody who looks the part. Who, life, who, who looks like life is just primped and pressed. Who look like they have it all together and everything's going fine and life is clicking for them. I want you to beware of those people who like to walk around in nice clothes, who love these greetings in the marketplaces, they like the best seats at the, at the synagogues and places of honor at, at the feasts. And isn't that, I mean, like, 
I don't know that there's a direct comparison to it, but the American church today has been reduced to something a lot like that. Look good. Get, get ahead in life by being at church. Like life looks good on you and, and like it looks like you've got everything together. And Jesus says, I want you to watch out for those people. And he's talking about how they're devouring widows' houses. Not exactly sure what that means, but it's something bad. It's going after somebody who doesn't have a lot and taking it from them for their own means. Like everything looks good on the outside, but in private, life is a mess. Everything looks good on the outside, but in private, life is a mess. That's not what God wants from you. God is not looking for you to act like your life is together. God is not looking for you to make it seem like you don't have anything wrong with you. The only thing that you're doing when you act that way is you're saying, I don't really need the cross of Jesus Christ. I don't need the Messiah in my life because you're not showing any part of your life as being like, man, I really need Jesus right here in the midst of my finances, in the midst of my marriage, in the midst of my work, in the midst of my lifestyle, in the midst of my thoughts on culture, in the midst of... Jesus isn't looking for some airbrushed picture on a magazine. He is looking for people to be real that say, I need not a human Messiah, not a new candidate, not some type of dopamine hit, but I need the real, the powerful, the all-powerful King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That's who I need. Because he has given you everything you need for life and godliness through his cross. He has given you everything that you need in order to turn from these false gods, in order to turn from this lifestyle of cultural Christianity that you find yourself in and I find myself in, and to turn to the true and the living God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He did that through his cross. His cross is what enables us to now truly experience life. See, going after the dopamine hit of, uh, and avoidance of pain, going after like feeling good ab about ourselves is really, just like what Josh Rice said last week, it's a faint picture of Jesus. I want to feel that level of happiness, and so I'm going to continue to go after that. But that's a Jesus replacement. And Jesus says, come to me that you may have life and have it abundantly. You have life through this, that by saying and by realizing, like, all of my efforts to reach God, all of my religious efforts are really in vain. I have really just been trying to, I've been making a God out of myself. I've made up a false God. I've been serving a false God. And I've been going after this American dream or whatever it is for so long and I've sinned against God and I need him. It's a recognition that I am lost. And let, let me just tell you that you cannot get to that point without God first calling you to himself. I keep having conversations with people that just say, I don't know what happened to me. I don't know why I started feeling this way. But I just, I just was like, God, I, I feel so bad about what I've done. I see how my life is messed up. I see what's happening here. I think God is doing that through this pandemic. I think that's what God is doing through all of the fighting in our nation. I think that's what God is doing in churches. He is awakening people to the reality of he is God and I have sinned against him. 
but he's availed himself through the cross. He's given himself to you through the cross. And he offers himself free of charge. You can have this God. And so how do you experience him? You experience him for sure through the scriptures. But you experience him through the people of God as they engage with the scriptures. It's not just me and Jesus. It's you with the people of God with the scriptures. The people of God are the body of Christ and they show you who Jesus is. Do you want to see Jesus? You need to get involved. You need to be around Jesus' people. You can't sit on the sidelines anymore. That's cultural Christianity. You can't just attend sporadically. That's cultural Christianity. Jesus has accepted you, yes, through the cross, absolutely. But if you want to actually see Jesus, you've got to be with Jesus' people. You've got to be under the preaching of the word. If you want to see Jesus, then you're going to need to be around his people. That means entering into a community group. It may mean entering into Equip, which is our discipleship program. We have many people in it right now. It might mean getting involved in serving and getting to know people. It might, it, 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 what it means is being around God's people. It means being in the presence of God. When we come together here on Sunday morning, we're not just sitting here and just like singing just for the sake of singing. There's something special that happens when the people of God get together. It's not about this building. It's not even about the lights. But what it is, it, it's about people coming together and powerfully exclaiming the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the mercy of God here together. We're singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs making music, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. It's being in the presence of God. It's being in the presence of God with the scriptures and thinking through life and just going, okay, what's life like right now? What feels out of control? What feels like it's out of my control? Jesus is the Messiah. He's in control of all things. It's being in the presence of God and being recalibrated every day going, okay, this is the one that I serve. Okay, this new mandate came out. This law came into, into effect. This person got elected. But Jesus is the Messiah. He's not a human king. He's greater than David. Jesus is it. Sit in the presence of God so that God can wrap his arms around you and just go, Bro, or hun, I'm here, I'm with you, don't worry about all that stuff, remember, I'm the greater son of David, remember, I got you, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, it's okay to experience pain, I experienced pain on the cross. It was excruciating, literally, from the cross. Last, the power of God. You cannot operate in this world without the people of God and the presence of God and without the power of God. But you don't get the power of God without the people of God and the presence of God. You've got to have the power of God. And the power of God comes to you as a weapon. There's this song that's on Christian radio right now. It says, your presence is my weapon. There's an author that wrote a book just recently that said, the practices of the Christian faith are the weapons of spiritual warfare. They do not save you. Jesus saves you on the cross. But when we operate with those things, we have spiritual power. If you don't get this today, you risk living a half hearted Christian life that goes nowhere. You can attend occasionally if you want. We love having you. Thank you for coming. We want to see you grow and we'll love you all the way through. But if you, want to, if you don't want to live a half-hearted Christian life, you need to see Jesus as your king who is the true and powerful one 
You need to be around his people because that's when you experience his presence so that you can have his power in life day in and day out to be able to withstand all the fiery darts of the enemy as he fires them at you right and left. I got to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. And we thank you that we don't serve an impotent God. That you've made the way through the cross to enable us to have relationship with you. May we dig into that relationship with you. So I don't know what you're feeling this morning, but the exact opposite of what, what I want you to feel is shame. I want you to experience the mercy of Jesus this morning. And not to sit here and all the things that you haven't done or that you, that you aren't doing. But Jesus wants you to acknowledge something real quick. And now would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me. We're supposed to consider our lives before we go to the Lord's table. And so I want to ask you, what do you feel shame about right now? Where do you feel like you screwed up, like you messed up? Like you haven't been really committed to your faith or whatever it is. Jesus says, yeah, I know. I saw that coming. I knew that was going to happen before I went to that cross, before I set my face towards Jerusalem, I saw that happening. I walked all the way for you. I experienced the beating. I experienced the pain for you. Just confess it and experience my love and grace. Jesus wants you to hear that this morning. And he says, here, take this. This represents my body, which was absolutely thrashed for you so that you could experience new life. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the body. This is my blood that was poured out for all of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, thank you. May we celebrate your cross. May we celebrate you as the true Messiah. Can we worship together this morning? Can we do that? Let's stand together and close this thing out with some, some passion.